Welcome back to the Sharpening Podcast. Once again, I am one of your hosts, Larry, and you are? Jared. And we are excited about being back with you. We've been in the midst of a conversation about uh, creation, uh, what God's Word says about it. We've gone down the whole rabbit hole of where ancient creation myths have been, and we took a look at that. Um, Jared and I have been having a blast uh, already coming up with other ideas that we wanted to talk about and almost getting into some fun arguments, and then we decided we better back off of that and be focused on what we're going to do tonight. Um, we uh, are coming at you once again from the Think Tank. and uh, Yeah, we got to... It, it, this might just be the place. I think this is the place. I think it is. You know, there's just something about... It's the manliness of it, you know, just, you know. Garages is just where you go to think. You do, you know. Men have some of their best conversation in garages. And my dearest and deepest apologies to my oldest, uh, Addison. She is uh, in here with us tonight. We're going to very quickly make her our social media director. And so she is stuck in here with the two old guys. And uh, she's she's smiling and waving and so glad that it's not her voice on here. But (laughs) we are coming to you tonight from the Think Tank where once again we are here to have some conversation. Speaking of conversation, we just we kind of want to lean into something because uh, Jared kind of had to talk me off the ledge earlier uh, about uh, our previous podcast. So there's two sides to Larry. There's the side of Larry that loves to have conversation, and there's a the side of Larry that likes to be completely ready to go when I'm teaching. The whole point of this podcast is not necessarily the teaching side as much as it is the conversation side. And so when we were talking through the different creation myths from these ancient civilizations, all of a sudden I woke up and I was like, oh my goodness, we had this whole conversation and what if it didn't map right? And what if it didn't say, you know, and then Jared was like, well, remember, it's all about the conversation. So we just want to want to encourage you guys and remind y'all that this really is about the conversation. We, we hope, we hope two things. The first thing, and always the first thing, is we hope that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that something we say spurs your heart to go looking, to to listen, and to hear, and to know that there is this good God who loves you, who gave his son for you. And so we want want to know that lives are being changed with the gospel. But number two, we want to encourage conversation in people, especially amongst believers. Talk about things maybe you've never talked about before. Dive into things you've never, you know— and maybe been too afraid to talk about. And this gives us an opportunity to practice yeah. that. It happens to be a little bit more public, potentially. It could be. Right? We hope it is. We like to thank the five <laughs> of you that are currently listening right now. Our obligatory family members <laughs> that are like begrudgingly listening to it. But, but it allows us to practice this yes. this, this community aspect of Christianity and following Jesus that is very important. Very important. That That's right. So um, last week we discussed these creation views, these creation myths inside of ancient cultures and civilization. And tonight we actually are going to take a look into how Christendom has approached this, what some of the theories, some of the ideas and stuff are out there. So to kind of set up uh, I'll use the, the term framework because that's going to be a word that I'm going to read or kind of the idea of being framed here in a minute. Um, so I want to read from Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Uh, so whoever wrote Hebrews, Paul in the hand of Luke, I mean, uh, whoever wrote Hebrews um, <laughs> said that, uh, says this in chapter 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this is what faith is, is what he says. 
Then he tells us that for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. So what he's saying is, okay, those, those who lead are leading from a, a place of being able to testify that their faith has led them to where they are and has given them a depth where they can teach, where they can encourage those coming. So then he steps into this, and I think this is where 11.3 is, is, is the kicker for tonight. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And I think that is an excellent place to start from that at some point in the midst of whether we're coming at this scientifically, whether we're coming at this theologically, whether we're coming at this just from our own bias of what we've been taught growing up, that we need to remember every bit of everything we do in the Lord is all by faith. And, you know, this is yeah. the, the Hall of Fame chapter, so there's a reason that he starts off with by faith yep. and sets this tone. But we don't need the rest of the chapter for tonight's purposes. We want to step forward. So I have, I kind of have a question to get us started, and the question is, is for you. So we talked about ancient civilizations. Tonight we want to dive into kind of what we see inside of Christendom yes. and how you know the church approaches this or people who are, are believers approach this. Why do you think these two episodes are important in this conversation? So I'm going to give you a, a million-dollar word to start off with. I like it. Maybe it's like a five-dollar word. So I'm, I'm coming at these two episodes a little bit of um, like a presuppositionalist. Mm-hmm. In that I am presupposing my own views of that there is a creator Mm -hmm. that created everything. And so I'm coming at these episodes with that on the table, which maybe is will be dishonest to our conversation later today. But I just I I need to lay that out that I'm coming to um these two conversations with the framework of a creator mm-hmm. creating. Um, but to answer your question specifically, you know, I believe it's important to have the conversations and some knowledge of these ancient myths because biblical scholars, people that we would believe are godly men, scientists that are not in the faith at all, other religions are all at some point if you are in this world long enough, you're going to start hearing people talk about ancient myths and how it looks, how our creation story maps onto some of those. You're going to hear that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is important for us to digest and like we did digest how different our faith and our creator God is is from those other stories because if he if it's if it is just an image of the other stories or a a copy of it with some slight tweaks Mm -hmm. i don't understand how a person can come to know god as a covenantal god i don't see it all the other religions we talked about the people are just there right but in our story, God creates us to be his image bearers and mm. to have purpose. Right. 
And it's, that's void in all the others, at least from Jared's perspective. Uh, Larry would agree with you on that. And so I just think it's so important to have that conversation and to be able to go and look at those and see those things that might, you might just read it the first time and be like, oh, well, Marduk's just this character that's made up. Like, but no, people for a long time believed that Marduk created everything out of hatred and warfare and nastiness. Mm-hmm. And he created us because he didn't want to do the menial tasks that he was assigned to do in the deistic realm. Um, so that's, that's why I think that conversation is important. It, it is the story that starts us on a path of following a covenantal, gracious, loving God. Yeah. And then tonight, I think this conversation is important because it's really going to set the framework of how do I go about interpreting scripture? Um, how am I going to do exegesis for the rest of my time reading through the Bible? It, right. it starts on page one. And so there are multiple views that have something that is valid in them. Mm-hmm. I think I'll put that on the table for tonight. Our conversation tonight, there's multiple views that have something that a reader might be able to take away as useful and good. Yeah. Um, and this is where the conversation could get fun because you know how yes. closed I am in the way I, I approach this. Yes. Uh, but having a solid understanding and and really a belief in how you read Genesis 1 is going to set up how you read the rest of the Bible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's why this conversation is important. I agree. So as we always do, we like to begin with prayer. And so uh, since you are the one that wants to springboard into this, and I can tell you're chomping at the bit, why don't you open (laughs) us in prayer and then begin? All right. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day and this conversation. Thank you for the scriptures that you have given us to chew on and meditate on and discuss with each other. Thank you for Larry and his friendship. And I thank you for this uh, podcast and this table you've given us to have these conversations and, and honestly just the fun that we get to have in it. It's, it's because of you. We pray that this conversation will be glorifying to you and it might um, lead somebody to searching out who your son Jesus is. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So there are a lot of different views. There are a ton of different views. And so I'll tip my hat from the beginning. All right. There's like, there's three that I like something about. Okay. Lay it on me. Um, so I'm going to start with the framework theory. Okay. So the framework theory basically says that you don't need to read Genesis 1 in a literal sense at all. Right. I don't like that. That's not where I'm going. Right. Um, But what it lays out is a literary framework in which this text was structured. And I do happen to think that it is a highly structured text. Mm -hmm. So if if a person were to be listening right now and were to pause this and then Google the framework theory and look up an image you would be able to see something that probably had some pillars in it and would kind of outline the framework. And in fact, I'm going to do that now. I should have been prepared, but I wasn't, and I'm going to 
So while you're looking that up, <clears throat> what this sounds to me like you are trying to find a way to marry what you talked about in the very first episode with the pyramid um, uh, as far as the literary idea of, you know, a starting point and then, you know, it leading to a place and then it coming back out of a place to resolution. Yeah. So the basics of the framework, and if you're, if, if you're listening and have opened up this image, you could just, if you Google creation framework image, it's going to pop up. And so you're, you're left with two columns that are supporting um, day seven, really, is how they have it laid out. So you have days one, two, and three where God is creating kingdoms or realms. Mm -hmm. I don't like the word kingdoms, but realms is another good way for it. So you have light, you have sea and air, you have land and plants. And then days four, five, and six are kind of like the rulers of those realms. And okay. so you get, with light, you get the sun and the moon, right? So mm -hmm. God gave them purpose and function, and you have the rulers of that realm. Right. You have the fish swarming in the sea and the birds swarming in the air. Those are seen as the rulers of those realms. And right. then you have day six, you have the animals. And then on top of that, as kind of the ruler of all the realms is man. And so then on top of the rest of that is God's rest in heaven, which is above the rest of the framework. Right. And so I like this framework because you can, a person can read through Genesis one and see this. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that it is probable that Moses writing this led by the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. framed it in this way where I delineate from the rest of the framework theory and its proponents is that I don't think the structured framework can't also mean that it happened in this order and on purpose. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think where, and you know, as I said, you know, I have more of a closed view on this. I think where it goes awry for me is the fact that in the framework theory or hypothesis, however you want to lay it out, you can you can swing either way. You can either go young Earth, or you can go old Earth. You can make it fit into either of those categories. Yeah. So we're. I guess where my head is on this is I, I, I'm, I'm going to come out and say that I'm denouncing this as a valid theory to view Genesis one creation. Okay. I, because I don't believe that we can just take this chapter and say, it's just an allegory. It's just a metaphor. It is just a literary framework. I, right. I don't think that at all, but I do think that, the writer of this book structured it in a way uh, and God structured his creation in a way right. that made it easy for this tradition to go from Adam to Moses before getting written down. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, so that's what I yeah. like about it. I don't like it as a theory of creation. I got you. I like 
that somebody has mapped out the framework yeah. so that we can remember realms and rulers. Like if you're just thinking about it, you yeah. know, if you're teaching it, you can remember like light and luminaries, you know, yeah, sea and fish. I like, yeah. I okay, like I'm that part you. of it just on a literary basis. Just on a literary, yep. literary basis. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I can get there with you. So that's, that's the framework theory. And so I'm, I'm, publicly saying I don't agree with it but I like the framework yeah and you know and this is where and and believe it or not this 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 episode actually is one of the main ones that's kind of gotten a lot of our conversation yes started in the in the world world we're going in because like I know you've read some books and we've talked about you know even a lot of professors and seminaries today are going down this this line of saying that well, chapter one is really just poetry. Um, and, you know, number one, are we conflating the word poetry? Are we, you know, what are we doing here with the word poetry? And then number two, can can poetry, and I think something that you brought up that makes sense to me, and that is poetry can still tell truth. Right. But I still am going to fly my flag and say, I really see this as historical narrative. Yeah, so the, the, the backstory for our, the people that are listening on this conversation is I was pushing you for a while saying this could be poetry. Right. Um, I think I've backed off of that stance that I, I don't, I'm not sure that it, this is poetry. Where I ended up, where I am right now, is that I think this is highly, highly structured. Yes. Literary, lit, literarily. Mm-hmm. I think that's the right word. We'll go with that. It is. We're yeah. in the garage. Yeah. Welcome to Redneck uh, 101 <laughs> exactly. with Larry and Jared. Uh, it's highly structured. Whether it was poetic or not in the Hebrew mind, I don't think we'll ever really know. And, and I don't think it matters. Um, but I, I still would push you on this topic a little bit. Um, because I think that the word poetry mm-hmm. in my mind has been hijacked by the ultra conservative that's trying to push back against the ultra liberal mm. that's going the people that are going down the framework allegorical route right to allow stuff in right has forced the conservative movement in Christianity to basically go to war against the word poetry. And I don't, I think that gives that word a disservice because my example to you was we could sing a song. Father Abraham had many sons, right? And that is a poem, but it is true. He had many sons. He had many sons. Like nobody can argue that fact. If you believe this, then you believe he had many sons. And, and so something could be poetry in the Bible and be true. Well, I mean, what are some of the best devices that we have to learn, right? When we can say things in a repetitive way, when we can make an acronym, when we can sing a song, that's, you know, and, and I tipping our hat again, another conversation we're going to have down the road, the importance of the music you actually sing in a church service right. or as a believer, because you are learning when you sing. And to be very careful and very cautious with those words and those things. Right. I will say this. I'll say this is where I'll lean to give to, to kind of let some of this get a little foothold inside of me. So in Ephesians, um, when the Apostle Paul in 
verse 10 of chapter 2 talks about we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That word workmanship in the Greek literally is the word poema, right? And where we get the word poem from. And the whole idea there is that there, there is purpose and plan. There is structure, there is reasoning, and there is a, a, a direction from one, two, three, four, and five. So we're not just created willy-nilly like we talked about last week. There is purpose behind God's creation of us. There is obviously image because he has placed it in us, right? Right. Which we keep bringing back up. But we, I really feel like in today's culture, we need to drive that home. Yes. You are you are born, even though you are born in sin, there is still a glimmer of the image of God in you. And so if you're sitting out there tonight listening to this, if you just happen across this and think, I want to hear what these jokers have to say, hear me. If you are struggling with your identity, maybe that's where politics is taking it today. Maybe it's just you... Just maybe you're a teenager sitting out there tonight and you're just like, I just don't really know who I am or where I'm going or what I'm going to be. Let me tell you, there is a God who loves you, who created you with a purpose, with a plan. He has hopes for you and desires for you, and and he knows because he's God. But let me tell you, he wants to share it with you. Absolutely. You just got to be willing to listen. All right, so I'm off my preaching pedestal. We're back in back in this now. Sorry. All right, sorry. so I think we've kind of we've hit all the points of that one. Yeah. Okay. And that really kind of that got us where I felt like we were probably going to go. Yeah. That's good. I we had the poetry talk. We did. We'll dive back into it probably yeah. a little bit. All right. Um, I want to. We're we're on ones that I like something about. Okay. Ones right. you like something about, right? Okay. So let's go to Young Earth. Okay. Creationism. Yep. Um. And so young earth creationism would, I guess the best way to put it would be. Did you hear that? It sounded like a big cheer coming out of Kentucky. (laughs) I think there's a group of people that are like, oh, you're talking about what we love. So young earth creationists would say that the universe is only a few thousand years old. I think probably the max that they would go is, is 12 or 15 yeah, I think if you listen to Ken Ham and group, they're going to be in the six to eight range. Okay. I think there are some valid arguments out there for like the eight to 12 range. Okay. So we'll, 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 we'll kind of give it to six to 12. Somewhere, six to in, the, 12. somewhere in there, we'll somewhere give ourselves a window. Yep. Um, and Ken Ham, if you're listening and you would like to be part of this and like us to interview you, we're giving the call out that we would love to have a conversation with you. Gotta like find his email and just send it to him. Yeah, that's right. We also yeah. need your Facebook and Instagram followers. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So the biggest things within Young Earth creationism, and I'm going to let you hit the the Hebrew word, but it is look the each of the days, the six yes. days are looked at as a Normal day, and so even in the Hebrew, that normal day would be sunrise and sunset, and so we're looking at a 24-hour day, or what we know of as a day. That's correct, and and this gets you know this gets me giddy um, because like as Jared well knows, I I could spend like the next two hours just discussing was evening was morning all the implications of that. And the whole 24 hour day. And, you know, you know, we, we joke back and forth, but I will tell you, there's a, if you can find it, there is a great clip 
of Ken Ham discussing Yom, and that's the Hebrew word. Now, let's be honest about Yom, okay? If you look, if you go to BDB, if you're a Brown Driver Briggs person, uh, maybe you're a you know lexicon, there's other uh, Hebrew lexicons out there, but if you are maybe like a Strong's uh, Concordance, if you look at the word Yom, yes, can it mean things other than 24-hour literal day? Yes, it can. However, there are specific markers. And I think Ken, with his Australian, wonderfully Australian accent and way that he says, does a really good job of, of, of expressing you need to have this marker and this marker and this marker and this marker. And any one of these markers calls Yom to mean a 24-hour literal day. And then it's his argument I will say it like that, although I happen to agree, um, that, you know, in right here in the first few verses, as he's coming into uh, verse five, and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. It's his argument that like almost every single marker that is met is, is met right. to, to make this, to, to drive home the point. And I'm going to speak a little bit uneducated on this point but sure. and, and correct me if i'm wrong but isn't it overwhelmingly used as a normal day absolutely or? it's very rarely used as something different it yeah. is but it's very rarely used correct okay so the preponderance of the evidence would say that yom as the hebrew word for day right is a is what we know of as a day in my slightly educated non <laughs> scholarly opinion <laughs> um yeah i think i think yom gets gets the 24-hour nod yeah. almost every single time so there's another scholar um john walton okay wrote a lot of books yeah i'm sure you probably actually studied some of his I stuff have. in seminary yeah so and i'm if you're listening to this reader or listeners i'm not um supporting his proposal you're just laying it out there um, but one of the things that he does a lot of times is say that the ancient world and in this text they were more worried about function than they were um form i think is how he writes says it okay. or in the sense that they're more worried about was their order mm. than they were about how things got made mm-hmm I would push back on him a little bit and say, I think we are too. Like if you tell me that you're uh, buying a car, I just want to know what kind of car it is. Yeah. I don't really care the details of your argument with the salesman and right all and, and how the steering wheel was installed. It, yeah. I don't, you know what you're getting a car. Yeah. Right. So the, the function of it, like you're, how fast does it stop? How fast does it go? Does it sound really cool? Right. So I, I don't necessarily know that his argument about function overrides how you should read this, but I right. do think it is worth bringing up to notice, to, to point out that no matter what view, and even in a young earth creation view, if you look at it, like God is giving function yes. to everything, which is why it would make sense that it is a 24 hour day because God is setting up the function of how we're going to live. We're getting 
evenings and mornings and nights and days and light by the day and light by the night and, 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 and a six day week and a day of rest. And, right. And so, yeah, he's giving us function, which is why it makes sense that it would be a normal day. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, man, good night, Jared. We could spend like, we could probably spend a whole year's worth of podcast in this one chapter, but this goes back to our original discussion where how you look at this has everything to do with foundations. Yes. And what can we, let me just go back through very quickly and see if I can do this really fast. In Genesis chapter one, I can see how a week is built. In Genesis chapter one, I can find out that there are two types of people made. One's a male and one's a female. And the purpose behind them being made. I can find out when water came on the scene. I can find out when light came on the scene. I can find out it's not in the order that I thought it would be in. Right. Right? I can find out that I see the day as my 24-hour day, as the sun rising is the start of my day. And they see it the opposite. And the sunset, right, is, is my bedtime where they see it as, hey, sunset is the beginning of the new day. Let's start with rest. Right. We're resting for the work that is to come. And so, um, and there's so much more here. Right. I mean, it's just, I mean, everything made to its own kind. You know, a monkey cannot create a dung beetle. We're going there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all, you know, all, all I'm saying is, is that there is a, there is a depth here. Yes. And where, where I feel, whether you agree with Answers in Genesis or anybody that holds the viewpoint that they do or not, here's the deal. Here's where Larry is coming from. If you dismantle all of the truth, any, any part of the truth in this, you just as well throw the rest of the Bible out and be done with yes. it. Yes. Yep. Goes back to the start of this podcast. Why is this conversation important? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So last thing on young earth creationism. Yes. Um, almost always, I think, because people that are going to be having these arguments are uh, knowledgeable of this book in some ways, is going to have flood geology be a part of this. Okay. Right. So that flood geology would help explain why the earth can look so old. Yes. Um, and I think that is the stumbling block to a lot of people getting into a young earth creation viewpoint is because it looks so old around me. And I've got an, I've got another argument for that, that we'll get to in a little bit. Okay. But that, so the next one that I like something about is mature creation theory. Okay. So, it lines up with young earth creation theory um, in that it is a normal day, okay. six days, mm-hmm. no gaps. Right. Um, understanding, folks, we understand there's seven days. But when we're talking about chapter one. Yes, yeah, six. Yeah. Six creation days. Six right. creative days. Um, where it starts, it's a... It's a nuance okay. between young earth creation theory and mature creation. Okay. Mature creation theory. Um, and there's one branch off of it that I don't like, and we'll get to that. But So the nuance is that the mature creation theory says, well, what we can gather or what we end up gathering in chapter two 
is that Adam and Eve had to have been created mature. Right. Like they were adults. They were I'm down with that. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the fruit trees and vegetation around them was created already providing sustenance. Correct. So they were created mature. And so the line of thinking then goes, well, the rest of earth had to have been created mature. Sure. And so where this can start to peel off is that then the line of thinking thinking could go, well, then God could could have created this earth to look mature to a point that that's why it looked, that's why people think that it's a billion years old or billions of years old because it was created to look mature. Right. I, and so that's where I fall off the wagon. I don't, I, I'm not smart enough to continue that line of reasoning. I, I would agree with that if we're nuanced between God created saplings or God created apple trees. Yeah. Like God created apple trees. Yeah. Like it, you know, it each bearing fruit there. Yeah. They were, yeah. they were already mature With the seed in it. They were yeah. already mature. So do I believe that God created a mature earth in that respect? I absolutely do. Um, but I don't know that God would have said, I mean, I'm going to make it a billion years old to really confuse these people. I, 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 yeah. I don't think I would go. I don't think I'd go there with it. I think this for me is one of those things that rings true to what we talked about last time. I know we keep kicking back, but you see why we put these two episodes so close together. So as we were talking about those different creation myths, we be, we kept pointing out the fact that, hey, this sounds very similar, but then here's where it turns. And as you so wonderfully put it, you know, all of those seem to have some sort of death, destruction, ire, wrath, um, you know, just whimsical folly of a God or whatever. And when we read what our God does, you get none of that. Right. It's all built out of love. It's all built out of desire to have this creation and, and these people who will worship him, who will commune with him. Um, you know, as, as I like to say it, he's a tabernacling God. He's a dwelling God, right? Yes. So... I think all of that is important, and I think where the mature creation theory, where I can I can get on board, is that I don't think he created it to look a billion years old to confound anyone. I think he created it in maturity, right? And and, and I think that's where it needs to go. I think to take the argument further. Now, I'm not I'm not a scientist. I'll give you that. Um, I'm a pastor, probably not a really good one at that, you know, <laughs> but uh, what I do know is that Scripture says he does, you know, when, sometimes when he does things, it, it, it makes the simple extremely yeah. smart, and it makes the extremely smart super yeah. simple. Some of the secret things we're never going to know, right? That's right, but I think that everything he created was designed to point to him. Yes. Yeah. And I think everything Satan did to destroy it was designed to point us away from him. So that. Th- what am I preaching pedestal lots? I apologize. <sighs> no, it's it's that's what we're here for. <clears throat> I heard Albert Moeller say, and I wish I could tell you the. Um, he spoke at a conference. I, 
I'll find it afterwards and I'll put it in our show notes so people can go to find this article. And by the way, Danny Aiken and Al Moeller, if you were listening, we'd love to have a conversation with you as well. (laughs) So he was answering the question about this topic, the age of the earth and science and, and you know, his answer was, so why does it look so old? And he just said, because it's a fallen sinful world. Hmm. The earth is marred by sin and the effects of sin are real everywhere. Mm. And I really liked that answer. It's a great answer because God, I, that's why I like mature, this mature creation theory in, in this, in this way, because I don't know. God knows what a mature earth needed to look like to sustain life and have all these things. Right. And we don't know the force that it, you know, when God spoke something, yeah, I can just imagine the explosion and the the light and the sound. I mean, when I my imagination kind of goes crazy when I think of like the Earth being formed by God speaking, and I mean that it it could have it could have shaped things in a way that no one can. If you go and look at it without God presupposing God, right. That you go, well, it had to have been forever. Yeah. You know? Well, and, you know, much like we dealt with ancient creation last time, as we're getting into this conversation, and I want to be careful not to go too far outside the realms of the parameters we set for tonight. You know, most evolutionists come from a perspective of the big bang theory, even though even in scientists there in in the world of science, there's those who argue, well, you know, it's actually this or it's actually that, you know, um, now you've got a whole group of people that are like, you know, it's chemical evolution. Let's look at it on the molecular level and chemicals coming together. and, And so, but that's another story for another day. But with the big bang theory, they are saying that there is this moment when all of these dust particles and all this stuff comes together and everything is set in the right place, that all of a sudden, just from a singular point, from one spot, this eruption of stuff just begins to take place. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stop you for a second because we just got back from Washington, D.C. and went, took Katie and I, went to the took the family to the Bible Museum yeah. in Washington, D.C. If you're in Washington, D.C., I know it's not one of the free museums, but you got to go. go. And you can do this walkthrough of the ancient Hebrew Bible where they have like videos and then you walk through different rooms and mm-hmm. they, they, they kind of, in a series of, I think it was five or six videos, they tell the story and you kind of walk through it. But when they say, and... Um, God created light. The room is in total darkness. And then this explosion of white, like hospital white light fills the entire room. Yeah. And dude, you're sitting there and just these projector screens making this white light. It like threw me back in my seat. It was so like loudly bright. Right. That just a projector screen made me do that. So imagine, yeah, imagine like when God was doing that. I know it's not the Big Bang and what you're talking about, but just a mad like a projector screen made me go, whoa, 
in my seat knowing what was coming. Right. But just imagine the force. But see that, see that goes directly to the point. And, and I think that where I always come back to when I'm looking at this passage, I always come back to the, to the idea of just the little tweaks mm-hmm. that Satan makes to make what is so obvious be so veiled. And, and it's like you listen to some of the arguments that science makes, and it's like if you just saw how that idea marries what it probably was like when God uttered those words through Jesus Christ, right? Mm. Boom. You know, I know Larry is not a proponent of the Big Bang Theory. Okay, I'm gonna I want to make that plain and clear. So we were. I got to put a pin in this because we have a whole nother conversation about this. But yeah. remind me in a couple weeks. Yes. Remind me to tell you about the other museum we went to and like what we watched in the space museum. Okay. Right, so okay, so we're, we're getting off this topic now because we, <laughs> if we don't, we'll be here the rest of the night and we're not going down that road. All right, so let's jump into the gap theory. Ooh, yay. We've got an audience member that is very excited right she now. She is, you know, and rightly so because how many teenagers are like, versed in the gap theory i know i almost i almost bought a a a mug this weekend that said bible nerd and i I should have bought like a whole bunch of them yeah yeah all right so i mean all right here we go so okay uh there is a um there is a college i'm gonna actually say a former college that is near us in a town over from us i say former because they've changed their names bukus of times very conservative bible college and um they had, uh, he's passed away now, but they had a uh, theologian on staff that was very much, you know, rooted in like the Schofield Study Bible days, which if you know anything about the Schofield uh, Study Bible, one of the very first study Bibles ever, um, in its footnotes, and no, the footnotes are not the inspired word of God, they're just footnotes and study notes, Um they lean into this idea of the gap theory. And it's this idea that there is a that there is a moment between the beginning verses where God kind of hits the pause button. Yeah, so that verse one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then they pause. Pause. Right. And the, the line of thinking or the, the argument would be that he set this thing up and then took a break. Mm-hmm. And so the earth was, well, you get it in verse 2. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So he creates the, all the waters mm-hmm. and all the earth and he, his spirit is there keeping, reigning the chaos in. Chaos in. Yeah. And then he lets it mature, basically. Yeah. And, and he some, lets it stew. Yeah. But then all these other ideas have come out. This theologian I was talking about, he used to call himself a smiling gapist. You know, and I think the idea was, you know, 
I might have some gap tendencies in his, in his mind. He might have some gap tendencies, but he understood that where he was teaching probably wouldn't be very popular to, to let those ride out. Yeah. Because, I mean, very quickly, you know, you move past Schofield, you move past... It's not a prevalent theory anymore, but the thing is we know that everything is cyclical. Everything comes back around, so there's a high chance that people are going to come back around to this. Well, and so let me um, – I, I want to be fair to this theory. Sure. Um, well, I'm not a proponent of it, but I want – so there is a view of the gap theory which would say that God created the heavens and the earth, and then right. he let it stew, as we've yep. said. There's another side of this gap theory, yes, which would be that after he created the heavens and the earth, like basically spiritual warfare breaks out. That's right. And so that's I think that the, that proponent the proponents of that view would say that this is how they answer like what was going on in the heavenly realms beforehand. Yeah. And so you have the, probably, potentially the fall of Satan and the demons that go with him during all of this and then it turns into like chaos. Yes. And that's where you get like this void and chaos waters potentially, right? So the chaos happens and then God has to come in and in the six days he fixes it. Right. Like that's the other side of the gap theory. And there's issues with that. There is. Yeah. But, but I mean, okay. I'll put it this way, not not to necessarily slam down this theory, but but just to put it this way. If we if we are trying to come up with things to explain how God did it because we're just we have to have a reasoning instead of maybe leaning on the by faith part, then we're very quickly going to fall into what we talked about last week and now we're creating mythology to try to explain every little thing right and i think it's the danger yeah um but there there are people there's probably really good and godly people who kind of went down you know one of the gap theory ideas is that basically you know you talked about spiritual warfare but basically the idea that god created and then that one didn't turn out good so he just wiped that one and then verse two and following is the reboot but I have an issue with that. <laughs> yeah. So one of the main one of the main criticisms of this theory is and we'll go back to the uh like the literary and the grammatical structure of it. And mm-hmm. I am not a Hebrew scholar. I'm I'm pulling my information from the internet. Yeah. I mean, I went to school and I learned a little bit of this, but I'm refreshing myself. Well, I mean, if right? it came off the internet, it's true, right? It is true. <laughs> but one of the main ideas is that as you read it grammatically verse two makes more sense as providing further information and Mm -hmm. not continuing a story right and so if you know if you read it in that way as just here's some more information about what was done it's it's not telling the rest of the story and saying that it was bad or it was it was just this is how it was created right yeah i agree I think what's interesting about the gap theory and why we're going to, why it's going to continue to be around. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go back to, um, the guy I talked about earlier, John Walton. Um, he, so he is a proponent of a lot of these old earth Mm -hmm. ideas, 
and I don't know which one he is necessarily, but he is in that field. Okay. Um, but he would say that, um, and I just completely blanked on it. I had it on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to come back to it. That's fine. While yeah. you're thinking about it, so uh, talking about old earth mm-hmm. ideas, there are some proponents today that are leaning into an idea that the earth is young, but the universe is old. Mm. Interesting. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like that when it says the heavens and the earth, all of this is happening it's, at the same time. Yeah, so I want to get into that yep. here in a minute because there's another theory that kind of fits into that I, f- framework of ideas as well. Right. So where I was going with John Walton yeah. is he, in my opinion, is on a scholarly track trying to make sure that his understanding of Christianity and creationism and all these can fit into a scientific viewpoint. Mm. And I think that is fundamentally backwards from where we should be coming from, at least where I'm coming from. Yeah. This is not a science book. No. And the creator of science does not need to be fit into our understanding of science right now. That's right. And so if you have to come to this text by squeezing it into... 2023's view of science, I think you're f- coming at this from the fundamentally wrong point of view. Right. That's my two cents on. No, I see, I see where you're going with that. And I, I can't necessarily say that I disagree with, with the idea because, um, you know, it, it's, it, if we could put a plea out there, it would be, you know, if you're a, if you are a believer and you're a scientist, Please allow God's word to help influence the way you look at the data in front of you. You know, I saw a video one time of a, of a guy talking about the fact he's an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. He's like, I study archaeology with my friend over here. And he's like, my friend is not a believer in Jesus Christ. I am. We're looking at the same data. We're looking at the same material. We use the exact same methods to unearth bones and whatever else. But the lens in which they are looking at the material viewed, one's coming from the idea of a good and loving God who created with purpose, whose creation was marred by sin, and the other is looking at it completely from, this is all random, it's all chance, and still trying to to answer those base questions of just how did all this come to be right so there is also like a, a tertiary view of the gap theory okay which would be called either the multiple gap theory or um i put it it's also called go to the top real quick on our notes Intermittent day theory. Okay. So if you're Googling and wanting to know more about these things, you, you can find it under one of those two names. Sure. Multiple gap or intermittent day. And so essentially it blends the ideas of the day age and multi- and the gap theory. And so you end up with multiple gaps between all the days. It's mm. my understanding of it. Okay. I don't so know. like day one happens 
then again, some time goes by day two happens. Yep. Time goes by yep. and then you bring up, uh, the idea of the day age theory. Yes. And so let's, let's just talk into that. So there's a scripture passage out there that says, and a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day and everybody takes off and runs with it. Right. However, as my wife who was once in real estate used to say, the three, uh, keys to real estate are location, location, location. Well, as my father-in-law likes to say, the three keys to biblical exposition or understanding is context, context, context. That verse actually says a day in the day with the Lord in the presence of God is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So what he's saying is, is that it's an indeterminate amount of time because we're with one who's outside of time. This daytime, nighttime construct, the seven-day week, 52 weeks a year, 12 months a year, 365 days a year, however we want to look at this, is completely a construct that God put into place for us in creation now. And I think today a lot of people have gone away from, if they were to hold this view, right? have gone away from that verse as the backbone of it. Right. Um, and then have just gone on to say that, well, because Yom can mean something other than a normal day, it could have meant that each of these periods were geological ages mm-hmm. or some other long expanse of time. Again, because they feel the need to sh- make sure that I'm going to do the linguistic gymnastics to fit it into 2023 science lens. Right. But if I'm going to take this idea and fit it into 2023 science lens, then I have a question about vegetation and light. Because if I'm going to hold to this, when you read through the creation account, we find that vegetation shows up before light. Now, yes, we know that God in verse four or in verse three says, let there be light. And God saw the light and it was good. But the actual heavenlies that are defined for the purposes of heat and growth as the sun for the purposes of guiding in the night, that is the moon. The thing that we need to function is not there. It doesn't exist. So am I going to have to believe that vegetation survived on the earth for hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of years before light came into existence. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, scientifically, it doesn't hold. At least in my mind. Now, there's somebody out there who's going, no, 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 you got it wrong. Okay, maybe I did. <laughs> Once again, not a scholar. But it's where my brain goes. Yeah. The whole right. point's the conversation. So this yep. is the way Larry no, thinks. I, I agree. I, it's I, a scary I tend place. To agree, I tend to agree <laughs> with you, though. So, okay, there's... Before we, we're going to dive into evolution. Yeah, we have to. But before we dive there, there's, you mentioned this newer idea of the universe is old, but the earth is young. Right. There is another theory out there. uh, And I don't think it's proponent group is that big. And I don't want to speak ill about this theologian, but I believe that Sailhammer held this view, okay. which was a local creation theory. Okay. I might be speaking wrong on Sailhammer and I apologize. So I actually went to 
a seminary where Dr. Selhammer taught. Yes. But I did not have him. I had Dr. Gary Galliotti, who was from Texas. We called him Dr. Mishpot <laughs> because he was all about the judgment. You <laughs> wretched, wicked sinners, you. Look at you. So I, I'm, I'm not meaning to speak ill will of Salehammer. In fact, I keep this... Yeah, you have his book. I keep this book on our table every night we record these. I keep it in my... Because he's written with some very useful stuff. But the local creation theory basically says that the earth as we know it, this giant ball, what already existed. And the creation story is not telling us about uh, all of that stuff. Right. It is a story about God creating the garden where he is going to commune with his people. Hmm. And so, yes, normal six-day creation, but he was creating the local garden that Adam and Eve would have been in. It was his—almost think of it like him creating the tabernacle, but before yeah. that, right? Um, obviously, lots of issues with that view, or at least yeah. potentially, but— that is another one that's out there. And that's interesting that there's now this ancient universe, young earth, yeah. very, very similar. But you know, if you, it's in my mind, if you track that far enough now, I mean, you know, do you believe that aliens could exist? There's ancient civilizations on other planets that are out there that God created these things like he did. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. It's just not a place that my brain goes. Now, I've got family <laughs> that I love dearly that that would love to go the alien route, you know, and, you know. I mean, it is fun to think about. I mean, God bless them if they want to get sucked up in a beam of light, and I just don't want any alien coming near me with any kind of anything. <laughs> so this theory, though, to me, where it leads me in my brain and my thinking mm -hmm. and, and where we haven't gone in any of our conversations so far is my other big word that I'm going to use for today is the cosmology mm -hmm. that the Hebrews would have been looking through. Yes. And so what do I mean by that? The way they viewed the world and how it worked. Right. And so I'm going to hit that real quick, and then I want you to, you know, you can refute me or you know, challenge me. Where, and where you before you dive it, into yeah. it, it's important to say this, because I think, I have no clue what Jared's getting ready to say, but I think this will help your brain as you listen to what he has to say. From what we understand, yes. and we are not Jewish, we are not Hebrews, but the Hebrew mind thinks in word pictures, which is very important when you go into the Old Testament, because these words projected in their mind you know, visual pictures that right. gave deep understanding, which makes all the more important the specific words that Jesus uses. Right. Because he's touching those nerves. He's touching those pictures. Anyway, right. so go ahead. So the ancient Hebrews, as I understand their view of the world and their cosmology, they would have understood this text as what when we read the heavens they're just they are seeing what's above them mm -hmm. and truly in their mind they they are thinking that there is like a snow globe dome on top of them mm. okay right? 
like a firmament or a, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So okay. like, but that in their in their understanding of it, and even the Egyptians and the Babylonians, right? Their understanding of the world and the universe is when when we read the word heavens, they are looking up and seeing all of the sky, everything that is up there, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's encapsulating that, and at some point, there's like a dome that's over it. Right? Okay, so yeah, they I'm didn't understand the world as being round. In fact, they would have seen it as a, like a flat disc. Right, they would have been flat earthers. Okay. With a dome over top of it. Okay. And so when we under when we read the word firmament or expanse in their mind, and maybe in ours, I, I haven't really thought this through all the way, I guess, but in their mind, when God is creating, God is putting that dome in place for real to hold back something, okay. the waters, and that's what's creating the sky and then the heavens. Right. That's what's separating it. So they are truly, you know, we understand that there's like an atmosphere. And when we hear the word heavens now, we're, we go to like the universe and beyond. Mm-hmm. They are looking at it and going, okay, there is a dome. And then there's something beyond that. But that dome is keeping the waters out and the sky in kind okay. of an idea. Um, which is different from our cosmology. It's different it is than, different than our cosmology, right? right? And so they're going to read that in that way. But I bring that up now because I think some of these theories would take that understanding and go, well, see, they had a view of the way the earth works and it didn't. And so it doesn't matter what this says, right? Because their view wasn't right. It, because we know the earth is round. It's not flat. Mm-hmm. We know that there's, I mean, there, there is an atmosphere that's holding things in, but there's not a glass dome over top of us. Mm-hmm. At least we haven't gotten there yet, you know. Right. Um, and so it's it's changed. I, um, so it's important to understand that because people are going to use that line of argument to say, well, we then we can have a local creation theory, right? Or we can have an allegorical theory. My pushback to that would be that. Yes, it says God created a firmament or an expanse, and I believe that He did. But also when they when they read like the skies and the firmament and the expanse, like that is probably how the Hebrews were understanding like how they were seeing clouds form and then rain come. Right. And, like they're they they had no other way to explain it other than that. And so today, like my brain goes, Well, yeah, they were using their understanding to describe it as best they could, and God was using their understanding to describe it in a way that communicated what he needed to communicate. And today we can just take that and go, yeah, God did create like the heavens mm-hmm. and the sky. And in my mind now, this is where I am right now. It, when I think about the expanse of the firmament, to me, it's like, yeah, God set up like the, the, the water cycle and the way that it operates. Absolutely. And yeah. all, all these things, like all these functions that we have, like God created all that. And, when they wrote it, they they wrote it as the firmament or whatever the Hebrew word for it was. Yeah, so uh, uh, raki um, is the word firmament, um, and why is that not behaving now? There it goes. Come back, come back to me. So uh, it, yeah, like like rakia, uh, and so um, translated firmament seventeen times. Extended surface, solid expanse, firmament, uh, 
Uh, flat as bass support. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I've never picked up on that before. Um, but it's always the solid structure. Yeah, considered by Hebrews as solid and supporting waters above. Yeah. And, and I mean, you get this idea that waters were separated out. Now, I think that Christian scholars are going away. One time there was the idea that when the expanse came into play, that you had the waters that were dropped down on the earth and you had the waters that were created like a canopy around the earth. But I think they're going away from that understanding, basically saying, no, no, these are the waters that basically just kind of went on out into the atmosphere and then exist out into into right. the atmosphere. Um, God, you know, guys, look, this is <laughs> this is where Jared and I come back and go, <laughs> we are trying our best. There, there are probably seminary professors banging their head against the wall right now going, these morons need to be quiet. And moron is a biblical word. Yeah. It happens many times in the Greek, <laughs> moronis. So, um, you know, it's out of the mouth of fools. Um, I just, I got I have to read this one time just because I love the sound of this. So I'm Hebrew, this is Larry's redneck Hebrew, right? Okay, so here we go. So Bereshit bara Elohim. Vahashim et Vaharats. Now that's the best I can do. But what is that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's beautiful. Dare I say it's poetic. (laughs) You better watch out. I better watch out. You better be careful. (laughs) Um, But no, it's, you know, and and as we talked about, uh, Jared and I spent some time about six weeks kind of looking at chapter one together and with some other folks and uh, in a small group setting and kind of my my heart behind it was <laughs> to take all those many years ago uh, that I took Hebrew um, all right so let, <laughs> I love this story I gotta tell the story real quick so I took Hebrew in six weeks <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah so I did J terms okay and so it was three weeks. For Hebrew 1, three weeks for Hebrew 2. I would have flunked. This is exactly why Larry says he is not a Hebrew scholar. So, Sean Madden, if you are listening to this... By the way, we go to church with um, some folks who... uh, One of Sean's kids is married to to their child. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dr. Madden did, I think, a great job. And I enjoyed him very much. I enjoyed his passion. And he he taught me a lot. And... uh, (laughs) But... My reward to myself for finishing this <laughs> crash course in biblical Hebrew was to go up to Jennifer and say, "Hey, would you marry me?" <laughs> and so, you know, pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was a good celebratory, and she said yes. Yeah, so that top, you know, even, I made it even better. better. That's right. But anyway, so let's get back off of that. But I, I will say this: I learned in that time in his class to love these languages because I am not a polyglot. I, I don't, I don't even speak English good. No. Right. I mean, I have, I have this huge issue, but I love the depth that comes out of looking at things grammatically. And I just, I wish my brain would kick into gear and, and I could, I could take this where it needs to go. Yeah. Right. And it's one of those things that, you know, 
I don't think I'm ever going to be great at it. I, I had to take two years of Koine Greek, and it was rough. Whoop, whoop. My, my brain just doesn't work that way. But I'm going to quote, and I believe it's Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. Right. When, when, in, in his discussions of this, you know, he, he will say, like, if you're a tourist and you are planning a trip to France, a good tourist, if they don't know the language, is at least going to buy the little book. Right. To understand the key phrases. Right. Right. You're not just going to go and be like, I'm an American. I'm going to ask for the baguette. Like you're <laughs> more than likely, if you're a good tourist, you're going to get the little book and you're going to at least try. Right. Right. And so what, what he says is like, he says that. And he also says like, we, we are tourists here because mm -hmm. this was written to ancient Hebrews right. or, you know, uh, Greeks and Romans and in these other languages. And so we do need to understand that when we come to these things and at Absolutely. least at least attempt to understand where these words are being used and how they're used and in what context they're being used. I think I think we need to be in a place as believers where we never stop growing. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to take very seriously this process of sanctification that we are in. God wants us to sharpen ourselves. Oh, wait a minute. There's a podcast that talk, talks about that. Uh, the Sharpening Podcast. Sharpeningpodcast at gmail.com. You can send all of your angry letters there. Jared reads those. I read all the happy ones. So, um, but no. Uh, yeah, and I think, and, and folks, this is, this is where I think Jared and I really are. We talk about these things because they really are important. Because yes. if someone has a belief and that belief bumps up against what we know the character of God to be. I was talking with our senior adults today at our church and is going over some very difficult points of salvation with them today and bless their hearts. They were just at points they were like glossy eyed and it was, it was so sweet. Um, I won't really go into what it was, but I'll just say floral activity may have been involved. So if you get where I'm going with that, there you go. Um, we talked about three different types of flowers, but anyway, um, I, I looked at them and, and I just, and I just reminded them, I'm like, look, anytime you hear man trying to describe who our God is, be like the Bereans, go back to the word. And if it goes against who God has revealed himself to be, and cast it aside exactly and keep moving forward and i yep. think that's that's the big thing in all this maybe all truth is god's truth right so if there's a point in something that's truth take a deep look at it and see what it is and then if that theory or that hypothesis doesn't take it where it needs to go maybe just maybe you're the person right that's going to yeah. take it to the place it does need to go and that's that's why i wanted to start off with Hey, I got these three that I, I like something That's about, good. right? That's good. Yeah. So we're skipping over one and I'm, I'm, we are recognizing that theistic evolution. Yes. Is something that has a foothold in Christianity in some aspects of it. But yeah, I want to put a pin in it because we're yeah. going to come back and we're going to talk about evolution mm -hmm. and the impact as we see it 
yes. on Christianity and the world around us and all that goes with that right. next, next episode. Yeah, because we're not ignoring this, but just to have it as a side note, it, it, there is too much that impacts the world around us. There's too much that impacts Christendom to ignore and to take proper time Absolutely. in, in this one area. So I 100% agree. So, hey. It's been a fun time tonight. Yes. So we want to remind you guys, the sharpening podcast at gmail.com. Yep. Prayer requests, ideas, yes. questions. Hey, we'll do our best to find an answer. Um, we have mentioned quite a few names tonight. Uh, if any of those folks are still living um, or, <laughs> or you know, happen to catch wind of this, uh, we'd love to have some conversation with you. Dr. Selhammer, if you... <laughs> want to jump in the ring no nah, we wouldn't box or mess with you we, we, we'd love to talk to you guys who are teaching who are shaping young minds who shaped my young mind all those years ago and continue to be giants for me hey listen we would love to talk to you guys so um if you happen to hear this this is our plea that's right please you know um ken ham Man, would we love to get in some conversation with you. Yep. And uh but hey, you can catch us on Facebook. Yep, and on Instagram. Yep. We will be publishing that's where we're gonna post when stuff is coming out. That's right. We're trying to catch some like live action shots and just show you the process of the 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 garage. That's right. Um it's been a lot of fun. It has been. And we're gonna keep keep on trucking with it. Yeah, I think so. All right, you wanna close this? Let's in do this. Yeah, absolutely. Father what an amazing God you are. I think about um, Psalm 8, and I love Tom Fecky's interpretation of it in his choral anthem, where he says, When I gaze into the night sky and see the works of your fingers, the moon and stars suspended in space. Oh, what is man that you are mindful of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. And he goes on to take that beautiful song and weave it into modern day music in a way that ignites the soul, the majesty and glory of your name. You are, Father, beyond comprehension. But, as I'm reminded of another song, where there is faith, there is healing, there is redemption, there is a loving God who has made us with a purpose and a plan. There is a loving God who wants to commune with his creation. And you have placed that call out to us. So, Father, we ascribe it all to you. We give you the honor. We give you the glory that is due you. We want to be people who are found worshiping you, loving you, being obedient to your ways, and doing everything we know how to share with those around us how you have changed our lives through your son, Jesus Christ, the very one I'm still always so amazed at the one that you used to create this world is the very one you used to redeem it. 
So, at the end of the night tonight, we quote the ending of Psalm 19. And we pray, Father, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And all this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.